We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire Studios just dropped their first original podcast, Golden Goal. The show gives you 10-minute episodes all about soccer legends and the moments that made them. Whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or a diehard fan, this podcast is a great listen for everyone. The final two episodes are live right now, or binge the entire season to learn about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Now let's start the show. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And boys and girls, NFL training camps have gotten the green light. <laughs> and with that in mind, the guest so nice we had to do it twice, Mr. Ryan Lacell of Rock Sports Network is here with us tonight as we air our next installment of our 2020 Bills training camp primer for linebackers and tight ends. Mr. Lacell, how are you doing this evening? I am happy to join you guys with a positive show and not a doom and gloom show like we've done the last couple times. So I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) Oh, it's always a good time. Once again, for those of you new to the proceedings, new to this, ooh, Chris, this growler of beer you've handed me. Yeah, I don't know. It's from New York Beer Project. Oh, this is going to be a delicious conversation. I'm going to have a delicious beverage. It's going to be great. I expect you to drink that whole growler. Oh, is that a fact? Yes. Okay, well, this beer is red. I'm already concerned. But with that said, Mr. Ryan Lacell, for those of you who are not familiar, host of the Huddle TV on Rock Sports Network, airing out of uh, Rochester on WBG-TV. You can also stream it live on Facebook, which we're going to link their Facebook page. We'll have links to all their social media stuff in the notes of tonight's show. He's also the host and the voice of the Brockport Golden Eagles football team. How's that looking for this year? Uh, not good. So the uh, Empire 8, the, the conference in which Brockport plays, has announced that they are not having a season. 
and Division Three uh, is is pretty close to canceling their their season. And there's supposedly a meeting on Thursday, I guess, to talk to the Board of Governors to cancel the fall uh, championships. And if they cancel the fall championships, that opens things up for a spring season for the fall sports to be bumped to the spring, which I think everyone is hoping for. So I'm hoping to get some Brockport Golden Eagles football in here this this year because this will be the uh, fourth fifth year in a row that they are a top 25 team in the country so they're always a good time to get out and watch and not a lot of people know that they're kind of right down the road from from buffalo they play uh, buff state in the the i-90 bowl every year so there's a lot of great local football in uh in this area and it'll be a shame if these kids don't get a chance to play out their season even if it's in a truncated spring season um so we're, we're all crossing our fingers here for the division three kids that play for they play for less than the uh they play, you know, truly play for the love of the game. They're not playing for, you know, go to the next level. Some of them do, but most don't. Uh, they're playing because they're true student athletes. And, you know, I, I always hate to see seasons get cut short or, or ended before they even begin. No, it's, it is it is hard for those kids. What's even harder is for me not getting to do the live events that we normally are doing this time yeah. year over at Batavia Downs. One of the things that I've loved is getting to collaborate with Ryan pretty consistently. And a lot of their live events... We do a lot of shows together, and we butt heads on a lot of different topics. Things like eating in the bathroom, things like global strategy, things like politics. I mean, we fight about everything, but we agree on the fact that we love our Buffalo Bills. And that's it's one of the things that I love about Ryan, and it's why I love having him on as a guest. And so with that in mind, Ryan, this is, I think we talked about it during your last appearance earlier this week, the podcast that aired earlier this week. This is going to be your first year not being credentialed for training camp in how long? Yeah, this will be the first time in five years. So, wow. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting, too, because this will be, you know, one of the more interesting training camps to cover. And, and like I said in the last show, I'm really excited to see what, you know, Sal and, and Matt and those those guys can all put together mm-hmm. in this training camp um, with – you know, the reduced access that they're going to have and the, the, the regulations around what can be tweeted during practice and things like that. It's going to be really interesting. And these guys are really going to have to flex their muscles in terms of content creation and creativity to, to figure out how they're going to cover the team in these uh, these uncertain times. No, it's it's definitely going to be strange. I mean, you you were you were there. I was telling Chris before we started recording that you are the only you and Cam Boone. Someone that you and I talk to on almost a daily basis, but yeah. no one in the Bills, no one really is familiar with him. He's an intern for the Buffalo Bills, or at least was. You two are the only ones who know how embarrassing it was when I got accosted by security in my like one summer of having credentials. You two yeah, were witness yeah. to it. Yeah, Cam Cam was there, uh, standing right next to me on the opposite side of the field when uh, we looked out and said, is, is that Drew out there in the middle of the field? Full disclosure, and, uh, the sun was coming up over Grownie Stadium at St. John Fisher, and I thought to myself, what an awesome picture. What an awesome picture to get the sun coming up over training camp. It's going to be great. So I walked out to, like, the 20, like where the hashes are. I walked out to the hashes on this field. I don't know that that's the outdoor practice field. Or that that's the practice field the Bills are actually going to be using that day for the final day of training camp That's back in the 2017 season. So I walk out there, and I take a couple pictures. I have them framed up real nice. 
And I think to myself, I'm already on the 20. I might as well just cut across. Why go back? I'll just cut across. It's not the end of the world. Turns out I was wrong. It turns out I don't know. I don't know anything. Because I was swiftly accosted by two members of security who then, literally, Ryan, the only thing they kept saying was, you can't walk on the field. And I was like, okay, I understand. <laughs> Here's why I did it. You can't walk on the field. I heard you the first time, Lurch. I understand. <laughs> what was going through your head when you saw me being carried off the field by security? Um, in your defense, and I said this to Cam, in your defense, there's no sign that says you can't. <laughs> Uh, it was just kind of one of those those unwritten rules that you're such a big fan of. Um, it, it's I think it's something they didn't think they ever had to tell anybody. So it's interesting <laughs> because now, you know, now they're they're fairly clear with people where they can and can't go when they're covering the team. So kudos to you. It's kind of like Steve Tasker, man. You got your own rule written after you. <laughs> well, that is rarefied air. And so <laughs> with that said, I tip my cap. You know, hey, listen, Chris, we can't all have training camp rules made up after. No. <laughs> it takes a real act of stupidity to get that done. But so with that, let's launch into the conversation here tonight as it pertains to the Bills roster. Now, I want to start with the tight ends. When you take a look at the current state of the roster, they've got a cap allocation of $11.6 million, and the percentage of the total cap is 9.6, which is 15th in the NFL, Chris, middle of the pack. So we're spending fair money, right? Yeah. We have three quote-unquote starters. I'm going to start the conversation by putting air quotes around that. Our out-of-the-box tight end Dawson Knox. He's a sophomore project at tight end. He was as raw as advertised in 2020. He flashed athleticism, but also a lack of technical refinement. I mean, he had 20%, what, a 20% drop rate, which was yeah. one of the highest in all of football. In fact, it was, I think, the highest in the NFL for tight ends. And he's clearly going to require additional work to become a reliable piece in the offense. Behind him, Chris, everything turns into a shit show. You've got Tyler Croft, who's an oft-injured veteran presence. He's touted as a red zone weapon. As seen in the Steelers game. <laughs> I think they forgot about him. Chris, as did everyone, every Bills fan forgot about Tyler Croft until that play. And then he lost reps to Knox in the red zone when he was healthy. I think that's more telling than anything else. Croft is a jack-of-all-trades but master of none, and his highest floor in terms of offensive projection, it's probably somewhat higher than Knox's in terms of a floor of established production, but he's got the lowest ceiling of anybody on the team outside of Lee Smith. Lee Smith is your veteran blocking tight end. He's probably the most useful in the run game. I mean, you see a lot of 11 personnel out of the Bills. And usually when they're running those sets, Dawson Knox is your tight end. But whenever they play out of a base set, Lee Smith, you see him getting, he gets his, he sticks his face in the fan. He gets his hands dirty. He does a lot of the, he's like, what is it? Some of the players have joked around about how Lee Smith is just a glorified offensive tackle. That's it. You're just, you're just an offensive title. You're just an offensive tackle with a different title. He, he offers you virtually nothing in terms of offensive production, though. And then behind him is a mishmash of young players with questionable upside. You've got Tommy Sweeney, Jason Kroom, and Nate Becker. 
Nate Backer, what I think Bowling Green, he's a camp body at best. He, his best work came as a blocker. He's a long shot to make any NFL roster, let alone this one. Sweeney, a late-round draft pick with upside as a blocker and a receiver. He might ultimately be Tyler Croft without the injury history or the experience. And then Kroon. Kroon has one season of real NFL experience. And even though, Chris, in his one season of, of reps, he beat, uh, well, he beat Chuck Clay for production that year. That's the, not that impressive. The year Chuck Clay posted 189 yards. Not getting impressive. paid almost $10 million. He's not... He's not impressing anybody. When I look at this group as a whole, Ryan, it's essentially all promise and athletic upside, and I think an incredibly low floor of proven production when compared to most NFL rosters. Do you think that's a fair statement for me to make? Yeah, I think so. I think in terms of what what you can expect from these guys, I think that's the biggest question mark. Um, I think what you can hope for, though, and I'm going to save this for my my hot take at the end of the show. Um, I, I do think that there's some some a fairly high ceiling on a couple of these guys on this on this team, especially within this offense. The interesting thing is 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 Sweeney and um, Knox's blocking ability and what that's done in this offseason. And do they come into camp as better blockers? Because really, I think out of the first four guys that you go through. The only one who's really expendable this season is Lee Smith, right? Dawson Knox isn't going anywhere. Tyler Croft just restructured his contract, so he's guaranteed his entire salary for the most part, unless, uh, unless, uh, until the end of the season because he's a free agent. Are we talking about the same Tyler Croft, the guy that was brought in here to be a red zone weapon, a reliable tight end for a quarterback that desperately needed one? I mean, think about it. They're coming off a 2018 season where your number one tight end, Chuck Clay, getting paid top 10 money for a tight end, caught 21 passes and had 14.2 yards per game. Yards per game, not yards per catch. There were tight ends that had higher yards per catch than that last season. Yeah. Chuck Clay in 2018 had 14.2 yards per game. And so with that said, they signed Tyler Croft to be kind of an insurance policy in case Dawson Knox struggles, and he ends up being tight end three. He gets outsnapped by Dawson Knox by a 40% margin. He literally only caught two more passes than Lee Smith. But, but if you look at their snap counts, so from the time, remember Croft missed the first six weeks of the season, week six was a bye. From the time that Croft came in, uh, he averaged 24 snaps per game to Lee Smith's. Uh, I'll just do the do the quick math here. To Lee Smith's uh, 15. So he outsnapped Smith from the time he came back from injury. Um, again, almost almost doubled his his snap production. The interesting thing about Lee Smith is if you look at his usage as the season waned on from week seven forward, he only broke 20 snaps once. And that was in week 13, I'm sorry, week 15 against the Steelers in that sloppy <laughs> night game where they ran the ball a ton of times. He, he, he had 31 snaps to, to that adverse three times in that stretch. Sorry, he was under 10 snaps three times in that same stretch. So I think Lee Smith's usage was clearly 
um, waning as the season went on. I think that had to do with obviously the offense opening up a little bit more, getting a little bit more creative with the personnel. But I think Croft brings a dimension that Smith just doesn't in that he, he can catch the ball and he can run routes and he can be dangerous in the red zone. And I think we all know how this coaching staff likes versatility and Smith just doesn't bring that at the same time. You can save one, one and a quarter million dollars by cutting Smith well, before the season gets going. And that's one of those things though, that you have to weigh because when you look at the group, the group isn't the deepest. And that's where making a decision like cutting a play, like at face value, Chris, how often do I say all the time, if a guy's old and expensive, doesn't do much for you, you cut him. This is one of those places where my philosophy on that might be wrong. Because when you look at what's behind them, Tommy Sweeney, okay, he flashed a little bit in one game against the New York Jets. Mind you, they they had their starters and we had backups, so I'll give him kudos for that. Jason Kroom, Nate Becker... They're, those aren't guys who I think are starting on any other NFL football team. And so with that in mind, I don't know what they mean in terms of depth for this one. So when, when you look at that, it's easy to say that, you know, oh, Lee Smith, you get, Lee Smith has a role here. And unfortunately, our tight end depth chart is almost, I, I'd say, set heading into training camp. There's almost no wiggle room. There's almost no room for debate there in terms of who's going to get what shot, who has what upside, and where we're probably going to go when they, when they inevitably keep four tight ends. Now, I feel like the same thing can be true of our linebackers. When you look at them in the current state of the roster, their cap allocation, $7.9 million. Chris, this is one of the cheapest... Chris, when we talk about bargains... Who's getting a better bang for their buck than us with Milano and Edmonds on a rookie deal? Yeah, that's pretty good. That'll change. Oh, it'll change rapidly. But for this season, we have 3.5% of our total cap allocated to all of our linebackers. That's ridiculous, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, when when you're getting production on cheap deals like you are in your top two linebackers in Edmonds and Milano, when your two most important linebacker positions are being done for so cheap, it's just, it's similar to how when you've got a quarterback on a rookie deal and you can add talent around him and you don't have to worry about what you're spending. That's why you can go out and get a guy like AJ Klein. You can go out and sign uh, Matikiewicz for a little bit more than probably what he would have drawn from any other team on the open market. And you've drafted guys over the last couple of seasons, right? Yeah. I mean, Voshan Joseph was a guy you drafted. You signed a couple guys as, as undrafted free agents that stuck around in the practice squad and and it allows you to get younger while also getting more talented at the same time and relatively cheap, which is something you won't be able to say next season because you're going to have to worry about Milano and what does that look like? Well, and here's the thing. You hit the nail on the head. They've drafted well at the linebacker position, well enough to give us two of the better starters. I'll say this, Chris, I don't know about in the, in terms of the AFC, there's some great linebacker play. C.J. Mosley. C.J. Mosley has been a standout linebacker for years. There is some great interior linebacker and weak side linebacker play. I'd like to think that for young guys, though, Milano and Edmonds have crept into that conversation of guys that if you're, take the Bills out of the equation, if you're talking about good linebackers playing football right now, Edmonds and Milano are part of that conversation. 
Yeah, and they're getting over. They get overlooked because they do play in Buffalo. Absolutely. I mean, that's what. Uh, who is it? Jalen Ramsey said that to Trey White that he gets overlooked as a cornerback because he plays for the Buffalo Bills. He said that to him on one of their Zoom calls that went public. But when you look at that, they've drafted well at the top, but behind those two starters, I don't know what this depth chart is. It's not where you want it to be if you're a team that's seriously flirting with the idea that you're a contender. I mean, let's run it down. Tremaine Edmonds, captain of your front seven, despite being one of the youngest players in the NFL. He's a physical specimen. The guy is a freak. He's got the athleticism, Chris, that allows the Bills to get away with a varied approach in terms of all the things he can do. He can cover in space. He can cover slot receivers for you the way a DB would. He can deep drop. If, he, if you ask him to play a deep zone, he as a linebacker can start at the line of scrimmage and somehow get back there to play that. It gives you so much flexibility to help out your secondary with how you scheme that it's not shocking that our pass defense was great last year because Edmonds has grown into that role. Milano's the same way. You, you see Matt Milano, like Edmonds, his athleticism and coverage skills are not only top-notch, but they let the Bills take a lot of liberties in terms of their play calling. His play against the run improved last year, which was a big thing because he's a small player. I mean, Ryan, how hard is it for a guy who is a safety converting to linebacker? You, you see a lot of this. Linebackers, they don't really have anywhere to go. If you... If you're too unathletic to play linebacker, you either play defensive line or you don't play football. If you're a strong safety who's just a hair too slow to play safety, you can sometimes play linebacker. I think Matt Milano has filled that role to a T. Yeah, I mean, you know, Matt Milano is for his size. I mean, he's much better than most guys his size are trying to play the linebacker position. I mean, third third on the team in tackles, back-to-back seasons. Um, you know, again, he, he defends the pass really well. Uh, nine pass defenses last season. You mentioned Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, he led the team in pass defended his rookie season. He was second on the team last season. So when you get that type of production from your, from your linebacker core, add in the fact that Edmonds is top 20 in the league in tackles the last two seasons – you know, again, I'm, I'm not going to spoil too much, but, you know, my, my hot take of, of, the, of uh, the end of the show is, is around Tremaine Edmonds as well. And, you know, those two, it's really interesting to see because if you look at the snap counts from last season, they didn't come into last season with any more depth than they are this season. They came in with three guys, and those were the three guys that got the, the, the snaps. When you look at the average snap count, Edmonds had 95% of the snaps, 61 per game. Milano had 59 per game for 87%. And Lorenzo Alexander averaged 30 snaps a game. He was thir- third on the team, you know. So, so they didn't use three ty- three linebackers a lot last season. So no. I think they're comfortable with the rotations that they've got going. They need one solid guy behind the first two. They went out and got AJ Klein. And they think he can be that. If not him, Voshan well, Joseph, who missed all last season with a shoulder injury. Well, and here's I think the th- they feel comfortable based on their rotations and how they play their defense. That they really only need one other guy to step up. They feel comfortable on this, but let's talk about that. AJ Klein, as we continue to run down this linebacker roster, AJ Klein, he's a Sam linebacker prototype with limited range, who's not going to fool anybody with sideline to sideline in terms of athleticism and speed. But he's solid against the run, provides a little bit of acumen as a pass rusher. You want to talk about him trying to be the heir apparent to, Le- uh, to Lorenzo Alexander? 
Lorenzo Alexander was the most blitzed player on this roster last year, and he was pretty effective. The question is going to be, can A.J. Klein pick that up? I question that. I question, and there's a reason why I almost, I wanted to include him on this list, but I didn't, just because of Chris Mario Addison. Mario Addison's one of those players who's listed, depending on what format he'd be playing in, as either an outside linebacker or a defensive end. Yeah, there's a lot of versatility on that defensive front. Kind of the same way Trent Murphy was an outside linebacker in a 3-4 in Washington, but came in here to be a 4-3 D end. But when you look at that, I would argue, a, a, what is the value of an A.J. Klein? Now, I, I would say to myself, here's a guy who, yes, Chris, on this podcast, I said it a few years ago, I actually toasted myself back during free agency when we signed him because I was like, this is a guy I called for two years ago. And now he's here. I, I like the fact that he can play the run well, but I question what he brings as a pass rusher. Lorenzo Alexander was that perfect package, and it seems like the Bills have tried to make up for his loss or the loss of him by cobbling together a couple different players who can all do what he did. And in that way, they brought... I don't know that A.J. Klein, because when you look at his pass rush numbers, he was never really used like that. And so it makes me question what his value is to a base defense the way Lorenzo had it. Yeah, I'm... I mean, I think one of the things with Lorenzo is he he rushed the passer quite a bit out of necessity because they didn't generate a lot of quarterback pressure with the defensive front. And I think that changes this year with the, with the names that they've added. I think they're going to generate much more pressure with their front four than they have probably since 2018. I mean, it's been a while since they've generated a lot of pressure with their with their front uh, front four. But, you know, Klein, you know, keep in mind, he's back to back. Uh, 68 tackle seasons over the last two seasons back to back or last season he he averaged 50 snaps a game so he's an every down linebacker at least the Saints used him as one you know the the season before that if 41 snaps per game he had two and a half sacks last season I mean so he can when put into good positions he can get after the quarterback five QB hits to Lorenzo Alexander's nine last season you know so it's he can do it I think it's just a matter of what what are the what are the Bills going to ask their linebackers to be this year? When he's are they going to ask Klein to be that anchor that that uh, that Shaq Lawson was and let the the end go after the, the quarterback instead of vice versa as they've been with Shaq Lawson? Shaq Lawson wasn't a good pass rusher, so so he had to anchor the end. But are they going to let Klein anchor the end and let a guy like Addison and and Murphy get after the passer, which I think is probably a lot more likely this season? It's going to be interesting to see how they utilize him. But now here's, you mentioned a name, Tyler Medikevich. Yeah. They overpaid this guy. I don't care what you say. Chris, you're a, let me run down some of the, the young man's, okay? Been a standout special teamer. Can we call it, can we use his nickname first? What's that? Dirty Red. <laughs> Tell me you don't love that, man. Come on. Dirty Red reminds me of my high school girlfriend. who made me drive to Rhode Island so she could tell me she was cheating on me. Yeah. Eight hours in a car. That's a good idea. Yeah, sure. Just drive. Oh, Chris, drive a few hundred miles. Spend a hundred bucks on gas when you're a, what, a sophomore in college? And tolls. Did you, or did you have? And tolls. Yeah. Dirty red. (laughs) See, now I don't, now I like him even less. Aw, I like him more. (laughs) 
Tyler Manikiewicz, standout special teams player throughout his young career. But when you look at the numbers, because I've seen people on Twitter, on, on Facebook, talking about how, well, he's, he's a good depth linebacker. Is he? Is he really? He has just one NFL start to his credit back in 2018. In that game, he gave up 100% of the passes directed at him, and his yards per target were 9.3. <laughs> he finished that game with 16 tackles and 12 solo tackles, which means he was picked on the whole game. The Steelers lost that game, by the way. So is that the guy? I mean, is that the guy that you want backing up Matt Milano or Tremaine Edmonds? No, and I don't think he is. Uh, Matikiewicz, he's a special teams guy. No player has had more special team tackles over the last four seasons than Matikiewicz. So that, that's his role on this team is to go out and be a special teams guy. Um, I think actually the guy that probably prototypes best as the backup to Edmonds is probably um, Tyrell Dodson. He's, he's probably the guy that you, you mark as the true backup to Edmonds because he's, he's as true a middle linebacker as you can get. Um, he's probably going to be the guy to see that. Remember, you know, Dodson was the guy that had undrafted free agent. He got arrested on domestic violence charges oh, in May, wound up pleading oh, sure. it down to disorderly conduct, suspended for six games. After that, the Bills placed him, uh, released him, but then got him on, on the practice squad. So they like him. They like him enough to keep him around through that that mess. Um, I think he's, he's probably the guy that you're going to look at that's going to maybe be the backup to um, Tremaine Edmonds if you keep another middle linebacker. <laughs> I threw a lot at you there. <laughs> yeah, no, that wasn't a stutter. That was me. <laughs> and, I, I, and I wish I could do that harder. When I look at what makes up the depth on the rest of this team, I've got Corey Thompson, who at least that's a name that some people have heard of. I mean, in two years with the Bills, he's played just 7% of our defensive snaps and 34% of the special team snaps, but at least I've watched him play. I mean, he's the only other linebacker besides Matikavich on the roster to have an NFL start to his name. Behind that's Voshan Joseph, who was, I don't know, he was something. He looked lost in the preseason games. His highlight of the preseason before he tore his ACL was making Greg Little fall on his ass. Oh, yeah, he made Greg Little look like a bitch in the fourth quarter. <laughs> During that preseason game against the Carolina Panthers last last offseason. I mean, Voshan Joseph's a nobody, and then Terrell Dodson and Delshawn Phillips. Hello, I've never heard of you before. That's right! No one has ever heard of you! I don't know who you are, I don't know where you came from, and I almost don't care. I think we know Tyrell Dodson for the wrong reasons. Exactly. Ryan, you hit the nail on the head. We know him because of that. I don't know him from his collegiate exploits, and I'm an SEC guy. He played at Texas Tech. I don't, or Texas A&M. I don't know him from Texas A&M. So that's saying something in and of itself. When I look at this group as a whole, it's one of my biggest concerns heading into training camp and the 2020 season. I mean, our team has made its bones by being sound on defense and by having strong play in the secondary, adequate play in the front seven. So when I when I look at what we're getting out of this current depth chart, I just don't, I, I don't know. 
I, this doesn't give me any sense of security that if something were to happen to our starters, this is a unit that can continue to provide the level of play and the level of talent that would be required to allow our secondary to get away with what they do. I mean, are, are my fears completely unfounded? No, I mean, I don't think they're unfounded. I just think if you look at the last couple of seasons, it's been the same way. I mean, they've been reliant on, you know, again, they've been reliant on on two guys primarily, it's Edmonds and, and Milano, and they've looked for one other guy to step up and fill a role that they don't have. You know, the last couple of seasons, it's been Lorenzo Alexander filling that pass rush linebacker role. Um, you know, I think they're going to look to Klein to probably be an anchor in the run game and probably expect more from their front four. And they're not going to have a lot behind them. I mean, you know, keep in mind, Voshan Joseph, he was a fifth round draft pick. So the team likes him enough. They stuck with him through the injury. They brought him back. Um, You know, they, they tend not to give up on their defensive uh, draft picks. If they like a guy and they draft him, it's probably a good bet that he's going to get a shot to, to be a, a contributor during the season. And then again, I think it speaks to how much the team likes Dodson to stick with him through what they stuck through him with, place him on the practice squad. Um, you know, I think they're going to give him an opportunity to be a contributor as well. I think Thompson and, and Phillips are probably on the outside looking in, um, you know, but Dodson and, and Joseph, I think they're going to be given an opportunity to contribute. And Matikavich, I think, again, I mean, he, you know, they're going to probably let him get a little bit of run in, in camp as a as a linebacker, obviously he's going to be hurt in terms of significant playing time by the fact there's no preseason game. And in terms of having a, brought in for. a God awful nickname. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's not what he's brought in for. He's going to be brought in to, to continue to be the top producing special teams player in the NFL. That's what he's been the last four seasons. And I think they're going to lean on him to do that. Manikavich is to linebackers. What Taiwan Jones is to running backs. <laughs> what that is. That's well, fair. I, I love how Chris comes out of left field with that, and it's actually the first poignant thing he said all night. <laughs> I've been sitting on it for like ten minutes. Well, I mean, where Matikavich may hurt may hurt some other guys is you know you, you may see you know Corey Thompson. That's where he made his hay last year, right? Oh, with I know. Team contributions, and I guess that's my thing though is you're talking about replacing guys who could be starters with guys who have never started before. That's what we're looking at if there's any sort of injury to our linebacker core this year. There is no depth. There is no veteran presence. There's no... We lost all of that when Lorenzo Alexander walked out the door. Now, there's rumblings that he's willing to come back, but right now, what we're heading into training camp with, it's on the young guys to kind of establish themselves as the leaders, but it's also on them to hold things together. And if they get hurt, I don't know what's behind them. Is this depth something you're willing to bet on, Chris? Uh, we have no depth, so yeah, I want. I would bet on. I'll tell you this: wanting I'm, to find more depth. I mean, I'm looking for Seagram's bets all night long during this podcast, but that's not something I'm willing to put my money on. For those of you who are itching for something to gamble on, though, you want some real skin in the game, go over to BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball just kicked off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all their odds, their futures, there's prop bets, and everything's open 24-7. Chris, it's not like you're trying to wake up a bookie in the middle of the night. Although I could wake up at 3 in the morning to place <laughs> a bet. Been there. And then if you look on the entertainment side, Bet Online's starting to dabble in some, uh, albeit strange stuff, Floyd Money Mayweather. 
is joining the Bet Online team to bring you a brand new show called The Ice is Right. Floyd is going to tell you all about his jewelry, and he's going to give you the chance to bet on the cost of his bling for prizes. Chris, does that not sound like a ridiculous format that you'd be willing to roll a couple bones on? Yeah, I would say if you were going to gamble on that, you may have a problem. Ryan, do you think you could bet on the cost of jewelry? Uh, no, I can bet on some other things. I have, have woken up a bookie in the middle of the night uh, <laughs> trying to get a bet in. Uh, but I do have to say, Drew, that was a, a wonderful live read. Right? I just want to throw that out to you, man. Credit where credit's due. Damn straight. Chris, we're getting we're getting downright professional at this. Give me a cheers. That's right. And for those of you listening, visit betonline.ag for all your odds and your up-to-date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code, all one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. You never thought you'd see the day when I could pull off a live read, did you, sir? I, I didn't think I'd ever come across a day where you did it as smoothly as you just did. Ah! I used to watch, you know, I learned from the best. I watched Ryan come in and out of all the TV breaks on the shows that I've done with him. And I've, t- I've tried to take notes. This is how you come in. It's natural. It's smooth. It's conversational. So thank you for that, Ryan. Absolutely. So now, as we look towards training camp, you know, usually every show I ask, what does success look like for a given unit? And what do we as fans want to see come out of these various groups over the course of training camp itself? And now it's even more important given that there's no preseason. Yeah. So I guess the, what are we looking for this offseason out of these two groups? Unlike most of the other positions we've discussed or will still discuss, there isn't a whole lot going on in terms of quote-unquote battles for position on the roster. We have multiple starters in position already with clearly defined roles, and even our backup jobs are pretty much nailed down. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing to talk about. Let's start with the tight ends. What are some of the things you're looking to see out of the tight ends this summer? You know, with all of the additions that they've made to the offensive line this offseason, I'm really interested to see, do they go with a fourth receiving tight end as opposed to a blocking guy like Lee Smith? Because, again, Lee Smith, Nate Becker, those guys aren't going to bring much to to the team other than their blocking ability. So does the team feel, you know, do they decide to keep an extra offensive lineman? And that means that now suddenly Jason Kroom has a spot on this roster because they've, they've kept him around over the last few seasons. Or because um, he's, I mean, <coughs> Jason Pagula. <laughs> hey, you know, if you ain't right, if you ain't cheat, cheating, you ain't trying. So, <laughs> you don't, you're not looking for that inside edge, man. That's you're not, fair. Uh, you're not doing your job right. So that's fair. I think, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see because, uh, you know, Knox, Croft, those are receiving tight ends. Sweeney, probably more of a receiving guy than a, than a blocking guy. So how much do they value versatility at the tight end position? Or do they just want guys that can go out and catch passes and keep an extra offensive lineman for those heavy sets like you do um, instead of using Lee Smith? And I think, you know, the snap count dropping over the course of the end of the season like it did last year, I don't necessarily know that that bodes well for Lee Smith. And also keep in mind, I mean, with the salary cap doing what it's doing, you know, you may want to roll over some cash and, and the only guy you can save money on in this group is Lee Smith at one and a quarter million dollars. So 
he, he may just out of necessity be, um, you know, a casualty of these, these truncated camps. I have a question, Chris. It's for the both of you, and it's, it's, it's up for debate because it's an idea that's been floating around in my head. Because I said, again, I, I've made up my mind that I already know who the starting four are. Jason Kroom, Nate Becker, these are guys who can try to compete for a starting job. But after seeing what we got out of pretty much everyone who made the team last year, I don't see them rocking the boat on that. Jason Kroon would have to have the camp of his life to supplant anyone from starting ahead of him. Yeah. So when I look at Tommy Sweeney, aside from having a killer mustache, this guy, I, I wonder, he sticks out to me because you saw some things from him in his one game where he really got the reins because they weren't going to play Dawson Knox in a meaningless game in Week 17. So they rolled him out there as the starting, starting tight end, and you watched him make some plays, catching the ball away from his body, getting up the seam, which is something that, Chris, when's the last time a Bills tight end? Pete Metzlars. Okay, exactly. Do you yeah, look at, and you watched a ball get caught and you go, wait, who was it? Oh, shit, that was a tight end. That was a tight end catching the ball up the seam against linebackers and safeties and making it look easy. So when I look at Tommy Sweeney's path to relevance to this final 53, not just making the team, but being a relevant factor to it. I guess the question is, I don't know, because I guess early on in the preseason, I thought that it was a foregone conclusion Croft would be gone. Sweeney was going to get his job. And then the team renegotiated Croft's deal. And now Croft's getting paid five mil guaranteed. And if they cut him, they get no, there's no cap savings. So there's no reason to do it. He essentially cemented his spot on the roster. So knowing that Croft is now standing in his way, what does Sweeney have to do, in your opinion, to make himself relevant in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, keep in mind they use a draft pick on Sweeney. So he's always got the inside edge to these guys like Kroom, Becker, you know, even Lee Smith, if push comes to shove. I think Sweeney showed enough um, where they're, go- they're going to give him every opportunity to be on this roster, whether it's as the third tight end or the fourth tight end, however they decide to use him. Ultimately, I think by the time the season's over, it's going to be Knox and Sweeney as your tight end one, tight end two. I think Sweeney's going to do enough to probably overtake Croft. Because Croft's value right now, I mean, I said it when they signed him. He's a red zone guy, right? So if if Knox can can be better as a receiver in traffic, he's going to start to take those those uh, red zone targets. Sweeney then becomes more valuable, you know, over the course of the rest of the, the field. Um, so I, I think it's probably Knox and Sweeney. Croft will be early stage um, because he knows the offense. He's been in the NFL long enough. So, you know, with no training camp or no preseason, you know, he's going to early stage. He's going to outsnap Sweeney. Um, and then Lee Smith or whomever is going to kind of pick the bones of, of whatever's left. But again, I wouldn't be surprised. They've added a lot of talent to the offensive line. I wouldn't be surprised if they valued, you know, another receiving tight end over. Uh, Ali Smith, because they can just keep an extra offensive lineman. Um, Becker probably winds up on the practice squad again. I think they like him enough. So I think Sweeney is has a real shot just based on the injuries that I expect Croft to, to go through in in Kroom. And I think the whole COVID situation really 
hurt Sweeney's chances for making an impression during OTAs. Yeah, I think I think you know it, it's also interesting too because we they've been talking about potential expanded rosters. You know, I think the the NFLPA um, proposed 15 man practice squads, which you know would be definitely interesting and more of a more of a taxi practice squad, as you see, like in the NA, or I'm sorry, in the ML, in Major League Baseball, where guys can kind of come up and down if they're on the taxi squad. You, you can activate them, you can deactivate them. There's no waiver process that they have to go through like you do currently to in order to end up end up on a practice squad. You know, maybe that opens the door for them to keep five tight ends. One on you know one or two one on the practice squad and then four on the on the roster, knowing that they can taxi that one guy up and down. But you know I think Chris, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean Croft Croft's just been dealt with it, a bad hand. I mean he's he's a good he was a good tight end in Cincinnati when he was there. Stepped in well for Tyler Eifert when he went down with injury. Um, you know filled in for Jermaine Gresham again when he was there, and it, it's just unfortunate because I do believe that Croft is a legitimate red zone target and a legitimate security blanket in that red zone that Josh Allen desperately needs beyond Cole Beasley, you know, because he doesn't have wide receivers right now. They're going to create that separation at least or win at the point of contact outside of digs, you know, so you need guys that can kind of win in space and Croft has been good at that. He's just been dealt a bad hand injury wise. That foot just hasn't given him, you know, good, good graces over the last couple of seasons. Well, as I top my glass off here with this, something Chris, it's a fruit beer. It has to be because it's pink. But it's a wheat, know it's, it's a and wheat. it's not overly fruity, and I've been using this Utica Club to chase it. So you don't like it? No, it tells me how white trash I am. Is it somehow, after a couple sips, this nice beer, this nice wheat beer... You need to offset it with Utica Club? I have Utica to offset Club. it with Utica Club. <laughs> it tells you how much how white trash I am. But with that said, you keep talking about Dawson Knox. That's the other thing I'm looking for this summer. Out of these tight ends, if our if our chart is set, I need to see Dawson Knox make good on this athletic promise he has. One of the things that drives me crazy, if you go to NFL Next Gen Stats and you look at the only game that they have charted for him, week 10, right? Week 10. I don't even know who the hell we played. Wait, was that at Cleveland? Chris, oh my God, was that the game yeah, where we hit? it was Cleveland. Of course, th- this makes sense then. You're talking about a team that was supposed to go to the playoffs. Cleveland was supposed to be good. When you look at the way that they utilized Dawson Knox, this was one of those games where it tells you what his skill set could be. You look at where he catches the ball. He's got one catch at maybe the four four yards from the line of scrimmage. He's got another one that's maybe seven yards. He's got one behind the line of scrimmage, and he's got one that's 15 yards downfield. All of those those four passes went for ridiculous yards after the catch. The one he caught behind the line of scrimmage went for almost a 10-yard game. He has the athletic chops to be a dynamic player, and you see it in short spurts. But then what you'll see is plays like in must-have situations, like the Patriots game. I'm going to throw you a fade in the back of the end zone. I understand it. Maybe not. Maybe it's not the greatest placed ball, but you, as my number one tight end, have got to come up with something—a better play on that football than what we saw in that attempt—and that scares the hell out of me. I mean, Matt Perino came on this podcast what two months ago, something like that, and pre-draft, and I was here decrying the need to draft another tight end. I said, "There's other places to allocate your resources." 
And he said, okay, but I know for a fact that I'm going to hear you screaming from the press box. <laughs> now, this was pre-COVID. I'm going to hear you screaming from the press box in the if we're in the fourth quarter against a football team and Dawson Knox misses another one of those passes in the back of the end zone. And he's absolutely correct. Knox has this dynamic athletic profile, but he's raw. And he has to prove that he's put in the work over the course of the offseason so that he's not entering the season and then we're at week 10 going, he's still leading the league in drop percentage. That he's still this guy who's only really available to our quarterback to make a dynamic play once or twice a game. I mean, to make this offense hum, and, and I'll go a step further. If Dawson Knox doesn't take a step forward this offseason and going into this year, it's going to hold this the rest of this offense back from what it could be. Is that fair of me to say? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, Allen clearly likes Knox. Um, they clearly have a rapport with one another, um, you know, encouraging to, to look at, um, you know, when you look at lineups.com and you can break down kind of snap counts and, and target counts, you know, Dawson Knox had eight games where he had four plus targets. And that's a lot for a rookie tight end. That's 9.7% of the, of the team share of targets. It's third on the team last season. Well, I'll say this. Let me just interject here. We've talked about it in other podcasts. Chris, Josh Allen has this thing where when he gets a shiny new toy, and he realizes that thing might work sometimes. He uses the hell out of it. He uses the hell out of it. Yeah. Josh Allen is a guy who is starstruck by the fact that he's playing in the NFL. <laughs> he goes, oh, shit, I came from Wyoming. And now I'm in the NFL. And we talked about it when he found out that he had a Robert Foster. He came back from injury and said, wow, Robert Foster, you can run? Okay, I'm going to huck it up to you every game. Then he came out of training camp last year and said, wait, I have a Cole Beasley and a John Brown? I'm going to wear you guys out. Yeah. He did the same thing with Dawson Knox. He said, wait a minute, I have a tight end, finally, that I can throw to? Because Chuck Clay and Jason Kroom just weren't, they weren't cutting it the last time he was under center. I'm just worried that there's a lot of pressure on Dawson Knox this offseason to really make good on that athletic promise. He's got to show, because he has the size, he has the speed. That's why we drafted him where we did. They traded up to get him because they realized that there was a drop-off in tight end talent. And they said, Dawson Knox is the last guy who gives us a real weapon in the scene. He's just got to warm up to it. Well, last year he took the whole season to warm up to it. He has to hit the ground running in 2020, or else I'm really afraid of what this tight end group might be. Yeah, I mean, you know, just in general, I mean, rookie tight ends, it's a real tough position to translate from college to pros because it's a different it's a different position right i mean and and you look at knox and what he did in college he was so underutilized it's no surprise that he's so raw he needs to be able to win contested balls that's you know that's what he struggled with those those back shoulder fades in the end zone because of his size and the lack of size on that wide receiver core he's going to be leaned on for that this year they they need to be able to lean on him but he needs to have better than a a 40 percent drop rate i mean he needs to catch more than 60, 56% of his targets. He just has to. That, that has to be the case because he has every physical talent in the world. He can run faster than most tight ends. He's big, strong. He's everything you want in a, in a modern-day NFL tight end, except he doesn't catch the ball, and that's going to be a problem, and it's something that we saw with Nick O'Leary. He was a similar guy in Buffalo. He had every physical tool in the book, and he just couldn't catch the ball, and 
he eventually found his way out of Buffalo and found his way out of the NFL. So, you know, if, if you're a tight end and you can't catch in today's NFL, you're not going to stick around very long. Lee Smiths don't stick around in today's NFL anymore um, because they need to be multifaceted. Well, because they'll find a Tommy Sweeney who can do your job for half the price. Exactly. So then what I want to pivot. I want to change the conversation to linebackers because we've been droning on about tight ends. And honestly, no one cares. <laughs> I don't want to say no yeah. one cares. but No one cares a, who the fourth target's going to be in this offense. Exactly. We already know where our passes are going. Linebackers. I have a question. When it comes to cementing the backup weak side linebacker and middle linebacker roles, are we looking at another defensive back haven? Now, I say that because during our defensive back primer with Bruce Nolan a few years a few years ago, Jesus, a few weeks ago, Chris, this wheat beer might be a little stronger than you let on. Quarantine's getting to you. Quar- the quar- hey, listen, I've lost 10 pounds in quarantine because I haven't been drinking beer. God bless I feel you. like having a kid in the house and a pregnant wife and all this stuff. Like, I, I work out like a fiend just to keep myself busy, to keep my hands busy. <laughs> it's, you don't have to scream into the pillow. <laughs> here's, so here's what I'm looking at. We talked with Bruce Nolan about this idea that McDermott loves safeties. He loves them on defense, and he also loves them for special teams purposes. Now, Chris... This aspect of this that's essentially going to be dictated, but I think that this, in 2020, we're looking at a repeat of last year. I mean, last year, if any Bills fan were to look up last year's depth chart, the backup to weak side linebacker Matt Milano was a player who never played a snap at linebacker in his career, safety Mo Alexander. That's telling right there. They didn't trust legitimate linebacker options on our depth chart to back up our starting weak side linebacker. That's why we threw all that money at Big Red. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dirty Red. Big, dirty. D- big dirty Red. <laughs> you guys are just making me angry. I'm, I'm picturing driving back from Rhode Island, listening to Three Evils, uh, oh, Jesus, by Coheed and Cambria. Oh, I hate you guys. So here's what I'll say. When I look at this, I look at the Bills roster and I say to myself, last year they chose to keep more defensive backs than linebackers. And they hid some of those defensive backs by making them backup linebackers, which speaks to what they thought of the depth options at their disposal. Heading into 2020, I don't know what's changed other than Matikevich. He's the only one who's here as a special teams ace, but there's nothing in his portfolio that says he's a weak side linebacker option so now i look at it in terms of the fact that we were incredibly lucky on the health front is this another season i mean first of all does that move in your opinion ryan say more about mcdermott's love for safeties given that he played it and that he coaches incredibly well or just the lack of faith that they had in in the last season's depth i think I think keeping in mind that Matt Milano was a fifth-round pick and they used a fifth-round pick on Voshan Joseph in 2019, his injury, I think, really changed what their plan was at the linebacker position. Couple that with the fact that they went after Dodson as a, as a priority undrafted free agent, and then he all of a sudden gets in trouble in May. I think that changed kind of what they thought their 
their depth chart was going to look like. I, I don't think they planned on Julian Stanford and Mo Alexander taking snaps at the linebacker position last year. I think Corey Thompson was brought in for depth, found out he was better at special teams than he was at actually playing the position. So they kept him on for special teams. That's now a race because you got Matikavich. Um Joseph and Dodson, I think, probably add that depth that they thought they'd have last year. Um, but they, now they've got it this year. So, it, But when you look at Dodson's athletic profile, he fits more of the mold of a middle linebacker. He's a true middle linebacker. He's, yeah, he's not a guy who's going to play out in Edmonds. space. No, he's going he's gonna to back up Edmonds so, if, if they keep him. So I guess the question is, when you look at the makeup of the group beyond what we know to be elite talents in Edmonds and Milano, do we have any confidence that anybody else making up the depth chart can back up Milano? Or is this a place where McDermott might once again stash another defensive back in lieu of keeping one of these linebackers? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, because Klein's not, he's not a, a guy that can cover, right? I mean, he's hes probably as bad as Lorenzo Alexander was um, when it comes to covering guys out of the backfield, maybe even worse. Um, so probably they're going to keep an additional safety in case Joseph doesn't work out or Joseph can't step into that outside linebacker role. I don't know what Joseph looks like in coverage. I mean, he hasn't played in, in keep in mind over a season, you know, in Miami, it's kind of a different role than what he was asked to do. So no, I I don't have a lot of confidence behind Matt Milano. Um, I think they're going to give Joseph every opportunity knowing that Matt Milano is a free agent after this season. So they're going to give the fifth round pick the opportunity to, to be a contributor and, and be an impact player for them. Um, but no, I think they're going to probably keep a big safety. Um, and, and that's going to be the guy that they're going to roll with. If, if push comes to shove, like it did last season where Mo Alexander stepped in. That doesn't make me feel good about things. Chris, are you happy knowing that your, your team that's supposed to compete for the division doesn't have an adequate backup linebacker? Yeah, it's going to bother me. I just hope Milano and Edmonds stay healthy all season long. I mean, they have to. Yeah. They have to. We don't have options beyond them. And that scares the hell out of me. And I understand. There's no... You're a baseball fan, Ryan. There's no war war score that you can give. You know, the wins above replacement metric. There isn't any of that for football. But I go back to the, oh, Chris, what was the year? Was it 2016? It was Rex Ryan's first year here with the uh, Buffalo Bills. We went into week 17. Yeah, it was week 17, Chris. It was winning in. You're talking, it's just A.J. Tarpley? The New York Jets came to town. They played here at what was at the time Ralph Wilson Stadium. And our starting linebackers for our Week 17 game against them were A.J. Tarpley and some other, like, linebacker, depth depth guy we've never heard of before. And we somehow beat the 10-win New York Jets, kept them out of the playoffs. That is the high watermark for the Jets over the course of the last 20 years. And we ruined it with two linebackers that history will forget as soon as the game, like, as soon as the game was over. History forgot their names. I only remember it because A.J. Tarpley made a ridiculous interception in that game. And I remember watching him at Stanford and thinking to myself, this guy's going to be good. And it turns out he wasn't. He wasn't a good NFL football player. That's what I feel like we're getting ourselves into here for this NFL season at linebacker. And it scares the hell out of me. What you're getting into, Drew, is a name to keep an eye on as rosters start to get cut down Mike Bell. 
Okay, so so explain to me why. So Mike Bell, safety out of Fresno State, uh, went undrafted in two thousand and the two thousand eighteen draft. Um, Eighty seven tackles, three interceptions at Fresno State as a as a safety. Um, he's added weight, transitioned to true linebacker, um, and then he. Who does that sound added. like? Who I'm sorry. Who does that sound like? That's already playing a premier role for our defense. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why you keep a, keep an eye on Mike Bell. He signed a three-year deal, $2.285 million, um, no dead cap. So, I mean, they can cut him if they want to cut him. But, you know, he's a guy that, that you know, a three-year deal, they, they like him enough to, to bring him in and, and give him a long-term shot. Um, he's, he's a guy to keep an eye on because I think he's, he's going to be good enough in coverage because he plays that safety position. But, again, 87 tackles and three interceptions in his, in his senior season, that's nothing to sneeze at for a guy now converting over to linebacker position. We can only hope, Chris, that something here happens and our both of these groups gain a little bit of depth, gain a little bit of experience, and hopefully out of this summer they give us some sense of confidence that our, the guys who are already heading into this are penciled in as starters can take a step forward from where they were last year. Because in order to fulfill the promise of what this team might be, you need that from both of these groups. In terms of bold predictions... I'm going to ask you for two, and the first one is, Mike Bell, you gave me that name. Now I need to go research more about this guy. How Are you confident he's going to make the final cuts? Um, yeah, I think so. I think he will. Because okay. he brings that swing that swing player that they like, that, sa- that Mo Alexander role from last okay. year, that safety linebacker position. All right, so then your other he's, bold— He's 6'3", 220, so he's bigger than Milano. Oh, so shit. He's a, he's a big guy. Yeah. All right. Well, then, you played safety at 6'3", 220, Hoss, so you go out there and get you some. I like the sound of that. Now, in terms of your bold predictions for this... Not- yeah, you mentioned one earlier that you were going to hold off. Yeah, I held off on two. So my first is keeping in the theme. I have a tight end and I have a, a linebacker. Tight end. My tight end bold prediction. Dallas Godare last season... Fantasy football was the number 10 fantasy football tight end in the NFL. 58 catches, 607 yards, five tight end, five touchdowns. My bold prediction, Dawson Knox will be a top 10 fantasy tight end this season. Wow. Okay. So he, the so dude who dropped 10, 20% catches, of all of his passes. 58 catches, 60, 607 yards, five touchdowns. That's the, that's the watermark to get to the top 10 as a tight end. Chris? See, I like that because we do have a, the Dawson Knox bet for his entire – anytime you mark him hero of the game, you drink a Seagram. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm I hoping – I regret making that bet, but also I'll take it if it means good things for my football team. Yeah, Ryan, I, I'm hoping you're correct on uh, Dawson Knox. Now, what's your linebacker? Linebacker position, Tremaine Edmonds will be a finalist for the Defensive Player of the Year. Wow, okay. But you know what? That's not that much of a stretch, I guess, when you think about the fact that, listen, Chris, he's... He, wait, he's how? He's 21? 21 years old. See, I think that that's a legitimate hot take because he's so young and you have to be... You have to have such a mental grasp of this game to play linebacker. So I would, I would put that as a decent hot take. Okay, but then you look at what he did last year. Again, as Ryan said earlier, he he's been in the upper echelon of tackle counts. He's constantly in coverage. 
He's breaking up passes. He's doing, he's blitzing. He, he blitzes the A-gap a lot. And I think if this team were to ever just unleash him as a true pass rusher, you'd find out he's really good at it. You know where I'm, In the run-up to the draft, he was touted as being a, people said, oh, if you put him out there as a 3-4 outside linebacker, he's going to wreak havoc on NFL offensive tackles. He's so athletic, he can cover in space as a 4-3 middle linebacker, and yet still pass rush. I'm not shocked that he's done what he's done. But man, you know who doesn't? Player of the year. He's gonna have to. You know who else doesn't know what he's been doing? And Ryan probably can back me on this. The national media. <laughs> we don't hear his name out of the national media. No, nobody talks about <laughs> Tremaine Edmonds. One of the things I will say that impresses me, whether he makes that, whether he wins that award or not, the fact that he's think about it, Chris. Everyone talked about in the lead-up to that Miami game. Tremaine Edmonds was the one who called the players-only meeting. He said, this is my team. I'm going to get everyone he said, together. He said, silent leader. He's that guy who doesn't talk unless he feels like he has to. Tremaine Edmonds got the players together before that Miami game where we went down there to South Beach and stomped a mud hole in him. And it was Tremaine Edmonds, the youngest player on the roster, Getting everybody all fired up about it. I, I don't know. I, I think the sky's the limit for that kid. I, I almost I almost want to agree with you, Ryan. One more bold prediction. Wild card. Go wherever you want. Um I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to Stefan Diggs. Stephon Diggs is going to finish with more than 1,100 yards receiving this season. I'm a huge Stephon Diggs fan, as I know you know from the chat. When they first started talking about trading him in season last year, I was on board with that because of his contract structure, his age. Keeping in mind, the year he was drafted, he's the youngest of those receivers that were drafted that year. And he was the first one to sign his extension. So by comparison, he's the cheapest going forward. He's probably going to want a new deal here pretty soon, but he's going to need production to do that. And what better way than to let Josh Allen take his shiny new toy, the head and shoulders best wide receiver that Josh Allen has ever thrown a football to in his career, college, high school, peewee, Stephon Diggs. He's better in contested situations and people give him credit for he plays bigger than he actually is and he's probably a top three route runner in the nfl josh allen does really well when guys are open <laughs> i mean and, and john brown showed that last year i mean I, I don't i personally don't know if it's that bold to say that that's um, you might be right because I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you every podcast and every public appearance that josh allen has made this offseason whenever he's asked about stefan diggs he talks about him the way Specs in uh, the Sandlot talk about Wendy Peppercorn. That's how Swift. he talks yeah. about Stefan Diggs. Yeah, I mean, Stefan Diggs is, he's a legitimate top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. Bar none, I will argue with anybody who wants to, feel free to slide into my DMs or just hit me up on Twitter in general, out in public if you, if you dare. But he's a legitimate top 10 tight end. 
And long term, I would take him over a lot of guys that are over him right now but are older. A.J. Green, Julio Jones, those types of guys. I would rather have Stephon Diggs long term than one of those guys because he runs such good routes. He plays bigger than he is. and He's going to go out and win those competitive balls, which is something that Buffalo has needed in a wide receiver for a very long time. Well, I think his presence is going to make things easier on our – it's going to make things easier on our tight ends. At least it should. It should yeah. open up the box and allow guys like Knox to operate. So hopefully, like we said earlier, he can capitalize on some of that promise. Chris, I feel like these two positions are going to be the things that give me the most heartburn over the course of the next season. It could be. You're looking for that linebacker position to no injuries, and the tight end is just all upside. Well, here's what it is. It's upside. You're banking on you're banking on promise. You're looking at their athletic skill set, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to try to – I'm betting on your upside, not on what you've proven you can do. Chris, how many GMs get fired for doing that? Uh, yeah, Doug Whaley. Doug, Doug Whaley's just an, that's an easy one. Hey, remember the starters off the bus, Adolphus Washington? Yeah. Remember the day that Adolphus Washington was a starter off the bus? Yeah, that's right. I remember it. He probably drives a bus now. <laughs> he looks like he'd have a CDL to drive a Greyhound. So with that said, with that said, I have to, I have to, I have to bring it in here. I feel as though we're these these two positions we're really setting ourselves up for almost disappointment in the sense that you're projecting upside and you're hoping but they have no proven floor yeah. beyond one or two guys and it's going to be an absolute wild card and this is where I think the crux of our season hangs what these two positions can bring us, and what the defensive line brings us, which is going to be our next installment of the Training Camp Preview Series. Ryan, we appreciate you joining us tonight. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff and when you guys hope to be back on the Huddle TV. Yeah, hit me up on Twitter at RyanLasel underscore RSN. Also make sure you follow the Rock Sports Network handle at Rock Sports Net. Uh, and then on Facebook, Rock Sports Network on Facebook. Uh, hoping to be back probably in the next few weeks here. Um, you know, again, we're kind of waiting on Batavia Downs. Hopefully they get the green light to, to open back up here soon from Governor Cuomo at Thurman's 34 Rush. A lot of fun out there. But, uh, you know, otherwise I'll be in studio. Um, you know, Icy Vic, my, my cohort there, and uh, Leo Roth, actually, from uh, Democrat and Chronicle, uh, going to join us from here and there as well. So it's always good to add a, another player to the team. But check us out. Um as much as we can. And for you guys, just first time I've joined you since you joined Blue Wire. So congratulations on that move. That's obviously a big move for you guys. So congrats on that. <laughs> yeah. Big moves. We appreciate it, sir. With that said, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And that's Ryan Lasel. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.